0: I've traveled all over the world talking about this thing, London and Christchurch, New Zealand and, you know, Hong Kong or whatever. And people, the world is looking at Atlanta. Like we can do whatever we want. You know, if we want it, we can get there, but we have to want it. And then we have to follow through on that and do the hard work of making it possible.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Creative Rising, a series of conversations on career, courage, and creative leadership. I'm your host, Blake Howard, and we are recording live at Constellation Studio in historic Sweet Auburn. And Today, we're going to talk about knowing when to walk away. We've all hit that moment in a project or a job where you're trying to discern, do I cut bait and get out? Or do I keep fighting the good fight and persevere and press on? And sometimes the hardest answer is having the guts to say goodbye, especially when it's a project or a job that you really, really love or are personally invested in. And to explore this topic more, we're going to talk to city planner and borderline local celebrity, Ryan Gravel. He's the visionary behind Atlanta's Beltline. And for those that are not in Atlanta... Let me just say, you don't even know. The Beltline's kind of a big deal. But to summarize it, it's a series of abandoned train tracks that have been repurposed in a 22-mile loop connecting all of the disparate neighborhoods throughout Atlanta. It's currently only about 50% complete, but it has been a huge hit, very, very successful initiative for our city. And it was all Ryan's baby. Not literally his baby, but it was his idea as a graduate thesis at Georgia Tech almost 17 years ago. And a very public project like this is incredibly complex. Think every community forum scene on the show Parks and Rec, and that's basically been Ryan's life for the past 17 plus years. So he has a lot to teach us about resiliency, risk, and knowing when to walk away. So Ryan, I'm honored to have you. Thanks for being here today. So first, let's start a little bit. Tell us your backstory and how did you get into city
0: planning and then where did the idea of the Beltline come from? Sure, well, like always great chatting. Um, I uh, did my, uh, I studied architecture at Georgia Tech um, for undergrad and did a year abroad in Paris. And yeah, I grew up in in Chambly here in Atlanta in the suburbs and spent my childhood on 285 driving to the mall. And so Paris was a big uh, culture shock in lots of ways. And I I was studying architecture, but I really fell in love with the city. Um, Within a month of being there, I had lost 15 pounds. I was in the best shape of my life. And I became really aware of how the city around me shaped my life and what what I could do, what was possible. When I got home that summer, um, uh, I lived with my parents and took a job over off, off of Windy Hill and drove across the top end of 285 every day. And, you know, I was spending about the same amount of time in my car that it took me to ride the train to get to school in Paris. Um, but I wasn't moving a muscle. I didn't see anybody because everybody's eyes are face forward and their music's, you know... Mm-hmm blaring and um the 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 city was still shaping me but in a in a different kind of a way and in a way that i didn't really like anymore especially after i'd seen an alternative (laughs) um so i really got interested in uh finding innovative creative ways to reshape atlanta to become the kind of city that i would want to live in and spend the rest of my life in and so ended up going back to tech for graduate school in city planning and architecture and was interested in design uh, at a city scale how do you transform a city that already exists with full of people who are already there and was you know just new you know atlanta's a railroad town i'm a a kind of a railroad nut atlanta has this you know the founding railroads go downtown but uh, after the civil war we built this loop of railroads around the city out in the country at the time and um, by the t- They attracted a lot of industry, so there's this industrial belt around the urban part of Atlanta. Um, but by the time I was in school, although that was abandoned, the neighborhoods had been left behind mostly by white flight and suburbanization, and um, most of the railroads were out of business, and the industry was moving out also. And it just seemed like a really ripe opportunity for something else to happen.
1: How did you actually come up with the... The Beltline idea, like what was the moment of epiphany?
0: Well, I wouldn't say there's a there was a moment, but it was certainly around. You know, I was studying in grad school about infrastructure more and looking at other examples of how you know in the Industrial Revolution we built certain kinds of industry or infrastructure that enabled different kinds of um, jobs and growth and development of the city. Um, and the same is true, of course, more recently with highways and 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 now. You know rethinking this old infrastructure might create something uh, a different way of life to make make that possible so um that was the idea i never imagined we would actually do it i just wanted to graduate and so and i did of course um but then um yeah so the idea was just to repurpose that loop of railroads for something else yeah so
1: unlike most projects like you just said or most thesis projects uh, this one actually came to life. How did that happen? What what happened after you graduated, and how did this actually get some traction and get off the ground?
0: Sure. Well, I um, went to work for an architecture firm. We were doing mixed use urban infill projects, which were relatively new for Atlanta after a generation of decline. But there were, you know, there was population growth in the city, and people were um, developers were buying up these big tr- industrial tracks in some desirable neighborhoods, and um, You know, redeveloping them, and we were doing that kind of work. And I was working on one site which would become what is now Inman Park Village. We were doing the master plan and trying to decide do you take the parking garage and jam it up against the railroad or orient it around the railroad? I hope something else happened with it one day. And I was telling my coworkers about this idea I had in school, and they thought it was cool because they lived in neighborhoods nearby. We were doing work in that corridor. And we just started talking to people about it, and the more people we talked to, the more people wanted to hear about it. Uh, we met Kathy Willard, who was on City Council, Transportation Committee, and she loved the idea too. And so we, for the next you know few years, we we just met with anybody who wanted to hear about it, and we talked to them about the project. I was doing three or four meetings a week for that two and a half years, and so was she and her handful of volunteers and. We created this unbelievable grassroots movement of people around this idea, around this vision for their lives, and they fell in love with it. And that's, the, that's that love for that vision and that idea is what has carried it through, you know, election cycles and budget cuts, and made it, you know, given it the sort of momentum that it needs to become real. When did you get more officially involved with the project, or was there ever
1: a moment where you came on staff, or it was more official?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, well, to start it, I think it's important to understand that the project is enormously complex from a a political standpoint, from a physical standpoint, social, economic and cultural and all that kind of way. And so um, I don't I think we're we're learning how to build cities a different way. And that's so there's a big learning curve there for all of us. And so. You know, any critique I have about my own story and the way that it's played out, I just want to start with by saying that it's okay because we're doing it, and the fact that we're still doing it in this building is is really important. Yeah, and so I'd rather build it, even if it means that my own personal life has been quite a uh, quite a rocky road uh, along the way. I was offered a job at City Hall. They had created a the planning department had created a Beltline team there that I would lead uh, to do all the land use kind of planning around the project. Of course, I'm a planner, so that makes sense. And I was happy to take that. Unfortunately, the planning commissioner at the time got in in a sort of battle with the head of the Beltline at the time, different people than they're there now, of course. But it ended up with my job being moved uh, out of the Department of Planning. And I was offered to interview for my job again and told that if I... Uh, didn't want it that I could be replaced pretty easily and so I opted to not uh, not take it and not interview for that job. (laughs) Wow how did you how did you feel about that I mean this is
1: this project is your your baby you are the 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 visionary behind it and then to feel almost outed yeah at that moment.
0: Well I felt pretty bad about it of course Um, and it's easy to laugh about it now but um, I also know, I knew and I know better than most anybody that the the project itself is not owned by uh, Atlanta Beltline Inc or the Beltline Partnership or City Hall or MARTA or any of the other partners. The project is truly owned by the people of Atlanta. And so leaving the project in that way was not about leaving the Beltline. It was about leaving, changing my relationship with the project. Um, and that I would be, even though I was told I'd never work on it again, uh, I knew that that probably was not the case. If I was going to be treated like that, then the people that I committed to and the and the communities of people that I loved and had made promises uh, about, that they would also be treated that way and that I didn't want to enable that. And so it was important for me to uh, find a different way to have a voice in the project. Yeah. Um, so I went back to the private sector um, ended up working for a big design international design firm that was then later um, uh, hired by uh, Beltline, Inc. to design the corridor. So I worked on it in that way. Did you pop back into a meeting and say i'm back or some joke or something well, no like by that. then it's important because by then the whole cast of characters at beltline had changed so um, you know very few people are still there who were there in the beginning okay just from natural kind of turnover yeah. you know of people in their jobs i'm like the cockroach that just doesn't die doesn't <laughs> go away i guess in this scenario this story but uh anyway so it's a different group and different time and of course um I've worked very hard to, even when I disagree with the way the project is being done, that I'm, that I disagree in a constructive way because my larger interest is for the project to happen. I don't want it to not happen. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so, well, and to hear you, you say that
1: it, it, it makes me think that you had such clear discernment on your personal values, your vision for the project that. You could easily sacrifice you being involved for the sake of it to stay on, on the tracks, no pun intended. Yeah. And, and it almost sounds like it was, it was an easy decision at all the different yeah. points along the, the way.
0: Was it or was it really difficult? Did you really wrestle with some well, of it? It's, it's difficult in the sense that it's disappointing and that it's not what I wanted. Um, But it's easy to make the decision. And the reason is that is because I was there, we were going to all the neighborhood meetings, all the NP meetings, literally for three years. We were doing it like multiple times a night, a week. And these are not, you know, whether if you're talking about affordable housing, if you're talking about transit access, if you're talking about uh, community stabilization or workforce development or whatever, whatever the needs of people are that this project promises to support um, these are not abstract populations of people for me. These are friends and neighbors. These are people that I love. And so that's not something that you just, you know, toy around with. Now, certainly there are some people that I know that probably would have not made that decision You know, would have, you know, just gone on, moved on with it, put a star on their resume and kept going. Um, just not that kind of a person. Yeah. And I, and, 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 and frankly, I'm looking beyond the Beltline at this larger kind of need as the as the as the region changes, as the country changes, and cities grow and change. These the problems and challenges that the Beltline faces are really just um, a little microcosm of the larger challenges ahead for us, and we need to solve those problems. And so, I'm interested in the Beltline solving, helping to solve those problems. But I'm also interested in learning from the experience of the Beltline to find new ways to to create solutions for those yeah. issues.
1: Yeah, and I'm sure, you know, speaking of learning from the experiences you've had, so many creative professionals out there have to deal with hard conversations, have to deal with conflict, right? And it's mm-hmm. it's not an easy thing for most creative people right. to enter into. We're taught and we're trained the technical skills of mm-hmm. our craft, but we're not necessarily developed or trained around how to deal with, with difficult people. What have you learned from your experiences in
0: entering into those those tough conversations. One of the great things that a professor Richard Dagenhardt of mine at tech uh, taught me was, which is sort of a lifelong lesson, which is that the problem isn't the problem. And a lot of times when you're talking to people, if they get angry or upset, it's not always about what you're talking about. Oftentimes that there's, that's not the problem. There's some other kind of problem. And so if you're willing to engage in a way and listen and, um, understand people from where they're coming from, um, then you know you might actually find a problem the actual problem there which might actually be a solution to it that you can help with yeah you know i was talking with a guy um uh, a few months ago and he was getting angry at me because he was saying that um the the guys down at the park they were making a bunch of noise uh should be listening to him because his baby's asleep you know and i was saying uh he doesn't have to care about you because you know uh, or what you think, or whether your baby is, needs to sleep, you need to put more insulation on in your walls or something, I guess, because his life is, uh, he's very vulnerable to the changes that you represent. And it's not that you're not welcome, or should, you certainly have every right to live where you live. But you have to see that in the face of the changes that are coming to the city, um, that the reality is the economic reality is that his life is more vulnerable than yours. And that, and that because we're not following through to support people, whether that's affordable housing or job opportunity or whatever else, um, he's dealing with stuff that you don't have to deal with. And I think just a willingness to acknowledge those kinds of things, that things that may seem, um, uh, irrational, you know, that people would vote against their own self-interest in, in, to preserve their own self interest is not something that a lot of people understand, but uh, it is a reality for a lot of people. Yeah. And, and it takes so, a. So, for like the Beltline, when we're talking about affordable housing, like literally, if we don't follow through on those things, then I'm not sure the Beltline is a good idea for these communities. Mm-hmm. You know, the reason why. Uh, we're talking about it is because it was part of the vision and we have to, and we know what to do and there are recommendations for what to do about it. We're not, we're not really doing that. We're trying, you know, and again, back to the compromise and complexity, you know, when you're operating at this scale with all these different people with different perspectives and all that, it can get pretty, uh, it's, you know, it's just messy. It's just, there's a willingness. You have to have a willingness to engage in that kind of, messiness and that kind of vulnerability and yeah and there's a lot of hard discussions in
1: that how do you balance fighting for what you believe in and your convictions and your values while also acknowledging you have to collaborate and bring people into a project of of this size and scale you know how do you how do you discern and and pick your battles
0: essentially well that's exactly it i mean it's about picking battles and and the things that i the battles that i pick usually um are about you know things that actually matter to the success of the project and whether it lives up to its promise so when when um when the partnership when i was on the board of the atlanta beltline partnership and the executive director um was essentially fired um it became clear that they weren't that that partnership, at least at that time, was not going to be advocating for affordable housing community in the way that I thought was really important in the face of change that was coming. And so I I quit or walked away from the board at that time. So those kinds of things. Right now, we're in the midst of this battle with MARTA over the transit implementation because the transit is central to this vision. I mean, if we don't build a transit, it will absolutely not deliver the outcomes that we promised. Um, The transit is the thing that makes it for everybody. Right now, I live on Crog Street. I work at Pont City Market. I've got a beautiful five-minute bicycle commute on the Beltline. I can bike it in five. I can walk it in 20. It's beautiful. I love it. But if it's raining, it doesn't work. You know, if I was carrying something heavy, it wouldn't work. If it was late at night, if, you know, there's all kinds of snowing. If I was not able-bodied, I mean, there's all kinds of reasons why it doesn't work and why transit makes it possible, not to mention... The growth that it's generating we need transit mobility so that because we're all going to be stuck in traffic otherwise i've been
1: defining and talking to a lot of people about this idea of courage Mm -hmm. so i've been defining courage as the ability to reject indifference Mm -hmm. courage isn't the absence of fear everyone has moments where they're afraid but courage is kind of pushing through that Mm -hmm. and not letting this Morose kind of indifference set in as a creative professional, which which can happen often mm-hmm. and I would imagine in your career with a project of this scale and the type of work that you're doing is so easy to just phone it in and mm-hmm. to stop fighting the fight to yeah. just let others win have their mm-hmm. way collect the paycheck and. Mm-hmm and move on um but really that's the heart of a designer or a creative is that we Mm -hmm. we have a better vision we have kind of an ideal future in mind and Mm -hmm. and we have to fight to move the needle towards that Mm -hmm. so what do you think that other creative professionals need to hear right now like with that in mind what is the halftime speech for the creative
0: community i think that we need ideas you know and like i I talked to a lot of students about um Ideas, And that, you know, you look ahead at the, at the problems that we are facing in the world, you know, um, mass global urbanization, um, gentrification, uh, technological revolution in lots of different ways in terms of privacy and mobility and every other thing, uh, climate change and all of that. And then the intersections of all those things. Um, we need big ideas, you know, and I um and we need more than one idea. We need like a movement of ideas. And we need to not, you know, people who have too much experience, they uh, allow politics and budgets and physics and engineering to like control what it is that we even propose, much less how we do it. And I think that the, all those things should be put in service to those ideas. So I think one of the lessons is to think big. You know, in lots of ways, the more compelling, the bigger the idea is, the more compelling it is and I don't mean geographically big necessarily, but broad and inclusive. And the more people it includes, um, the more constituencies you have, um, to support it. And I think, uh, thinking big is, is a, is a big deal. And then not really listening to the naysayers. Like, like I said about the, the problem isn't the problem. Um, uh, a lot of people, the naysayers, the problem isn't really what you're saying. The problem is their expectations about what you're saying. And, I don't know. I just think that um, I'm not sure. I'm not a great pep talk person. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty but, good. But well, I do. But I do believe in ideas, and I think that what I'm working on now is actually trying to create a new platform for people with ideas, uh, so that they have the support kind of mechanism that they need to 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 carry their ideas forward to be heard if their voice isn't being heard. Uh, to bring some expertise and and support to them in different ways and and create a platform for people with ideas.
1: Yeah. Well, your story, even if the Beltline halted today, your story is is a testament to big ideas, right? Like your thesis was huge Mm -hmm. and way out there, probably not conceivable at that moment but over the years, you have yeah, yeah. slugged away and found yeah, yeah. ways to just keep the vision alive and to make it happen. And, yeah. and now people like me mm-hmm. get to just go walk on it and yeah. enjoy it like, yeah. like we, you know, like it's always been there. In yeah. fact you were the one behind the scenes yeah. working hard to make that idea come to life. And so your
0: story becomes a, a testimony of but see, others out there. Like but that. see, yes, but not just me. I mean, there were hundreds of people who made it possible. And in fact, I didn't really believe we were going to do it until about a year and a half into our effort. And we had a public meeting at the Atlanta regional commission. And I was, you know, standing behind some women at this meeting. We flooded the meeting with advocates for the project and, and these two women were standing in front of me, and they're talking about our project. Our project is Twenty Two Mile Loop. Our project connects all these neighborhoods. Um, they're talking about our project, but I had no idea who they were. And so, the role of the public ownership in making the whole thing possible uh, is really the is really the story here. And I think the inspiration, it, it, certainly for anybody working at this kind of a scale, is that. Uh, creating that big project that's inclusive that people get to own and also be authors of um, I think is really powerful and um, makes the project possible, carries it through election cycles and budget cuts, um, allows it to survive even even as its integrity is constantly sort of being challenged. Um, And so I'm, yeah, I mean, I'm a big believer in big ideas and, and I've gotten really And this is maybe a fault of mine, really impatient with naysayers. I was, I get so tired of people saying that we can't do this or we can't do that. And I look at what we've done. Like we, we created this amazing thing. It's, it's generating $4 billion of investment. It's changing people's lives and it's making a whole, I mean, I've traveled all over the world talking about this thing, London and Christchurch, New Zealand and, you know, Hong Kong or whatever. And people, the world is looking at Atlanta like we can do whatever we want. You know, if we want it, we can get there, but we have to want it, and then we have to follow through on that and do the hard work of making it possible. Yeah. Um, now that's a pep
1: talk. You did it. <laughs> sorry, that's yeah, it.
0: Great, great, great. great. <laughs> no, I think
1: it's it's so true that people can easily. Um, be a naysayer or, yeah. or doubt themselves even on a small on a small scale they doubt yeah. their ability to design a great logo or to right. come up with a great name or a yep. tagline or take a great picture and so much of it becomes about the belief in yourself mm-hmm. and even to transcend that the belief in a in a community yeah. like that's really powerful and that's what i hear you saying is when mm-hmm. it goes from a from a me to a we like yeah. it goes from my project to our project yeah, yeah. that's when your willingness
0: to walk away goes through the roof
1: because you know it's out there in the world and that this community
0: is owning it right and 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 if you need to walk away it's it's you're walking away for we not for me you know that that you're standing up for something yeah it's not a selfish kind of thing it's you i mean every time i've walked away it has been um you know just in in protection and preservation of that of that we and with the promise that, um, you know, I'm still involved in some other kind of way. I mean, the Beltline Partnership Board, for example, which got a lot of press that I had left that board over the issue of affordable housing, it made a big symbolic kind of impact, but effectively, for me, from a practical standpoint, it means that I don't go to four meetings a year, you know? Uh, I go to a lot more meetings now actually on that issue. So you know it's just with different different partners in, in different in different kind of ways. Yeah. Well, what would you say to, to people listening
1: that are considering walking away from a job that they've had for a while or that they're wrestling with or a project that they either created or that they really like or love, but there maybe there's some tension there. What would you say
0: to encourage them or to help them think about potentially walking away? Well, i, I mean, I'm—I hate to give people advice like that because you know sometimes walking away, isn't, even if you want to or need to, is not the right thing because they are pragmatic, or practical kind of considerations. And I have to say that um, I have been incredibly fortunate um, in this process to have my wife with me because she was there since before the beltline was even a thesis. And in these times of, uh, um, uh, you know, of quitting, walking away. Uh, she always had a steady job that had the insurance for the kids and you know <laughs> everything else, yeah. and, and allowed me to. There's no way that I could be doing what I'm doing now uh, without uh, that sort of safety network in that way. And so, um, it's not always a good idea to walk away. But I certainly think feel like if you can from um, uh, maintain, you know, maintaining your integrity is always always really important. And um, I'm looking ahead, you know, what we talk about the beltline, but I mean I'm looking ahead at another the rest of my career and what else matter, you know, I want to I want to I want to do lots of other things too, you know, and and my credibility on working on those things will depend on you know what the decisions I make now. Um, so I don't know. To so see in the bigger picture. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's
1: important. And and even, you know, as as a designer, you probably think about the choices you make now will influence yeah. the end result or the outcomes you'll
0: have as yeah. as you're older well, into your see career you know i can see i could looking back now on the history of the belt line you know like i said it's easy to laugh about it but there were some really tough times and every time i made the right decision uh looking back on it i'll i can confirm we made the, i mean it was the right thing to do yeah and so i feel now i feel a lot more confident about it um and so like now when we're talking about transit, you know, we got to step, gotta step out and I know people are tired of hearing about it, but um, it's important. And if and if and if the project's not going to be uh, is, is not going to deliver transit like we said it should, then I need to start distancing myself from it, which is a different another kind of way of walking away. Um, but, you know, maintaining that integrity and hoping that down the road we can actually uh, solve that problem. Yeah. So last question for you, as a creative professional,
1: what are you afraid of, and how do you overcome that?
0: Uh, my greatest fear is misrepresentation, <laughs> which is maybe a little funny, but I um, I uh, personally feel misunderstood a lot. I, I um, am kind of late to the realization that my brain works differently from other people. <laughs> And so I'm just now kind of finding my voice and making sure that uh, I speak up when I need to speak up and say what needs to be said. And as we've been talking about all this complexity, you know, that's really hard to talk about. Um, so I don't know if that makes any sense, but that's that's my my fear. Yeah. Well, especially if, if You know, there's like you talk about gentrification and that kind of stuff. Those are really complex issues. Yeah. And there's not a single answer. And so to be Represented in any one way or another on an issue like that um, can be can be scary because um, it can affect your career and your life uh, in lots of ways. And so, again, the willingness to engage in those topics, but a little hesitancy about about it because of the the sensitive nature of it. Yeah. Well, and your
1: your role has become more public mm-hmm. b- because you have been kind of the. The architect, the mastermind behind the the idea of the Beltline, you're mm-hmm. thrust into the spotlight, and so right. if you decide to step down from an official position, the local media talks about it, right? Yeah. So you've kind of become urban planner, architect, politician, <laughs> spokesperson. You've blurred the lines in a lot of ways, so being misrepresented makes makes sense. Most most creatives might not. Fully get to that point where they feel misrep- represented, yeah. but yours is kind of a different,
0: complexity. yeah. I mean, it's a very public kind of role, right? Uh, to be claiming, and you know, partly that uh, because I'm willing to walk away, um, that that means that uh, the press calls and they and they and but it also means that when there's a controversy, they can count on me to have an opinion about it, <laughs> so they call me again, which sort of refuels that yeah. public kind of role, and you know, I've that's not something that comes naturally to me uh, but it's certainly something that I'm that I'm willing to do because I've seen over the years that 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 is partly what makes people love the project um, and so
1: yeah well Ryan thanks for your heart thanks for uh, being here thanks for fighting for what you believe in and being willing to walk away uh, when you feel like it's the best thing to do for the vision of the project. And uh, thanks for just sharing parts of your career and some of the lessons
0: that you've learned along the way. Great. Thanks, Blake. Always great to talk to you.
1: If you're interested in city planning and liked what Ryan had to say today, check out his book, Where We Want to Live?, You can get it anywhere that you get books. Next week on The Creative Rising, we're going to talk to spoken word poet Amina Brown about her confidence on stage. I want to know how has she developed the prowess to perform, the gall to go on, the spirit to speak up. Okay, you get the idea. But we're going to talk to her about owning the room when the spotlight is on. It's going to be a good one and you do not want to miss it. And thanks for listening. If you liked this episode, please tell your friends and leave us a review. It really does help others find the show. Hey, also, if you're struggling with something in your creative career and you want us to do an episode on it, go to thecreativerising.com, shoot us a note, and let us know. We're planning for season two right now, and we would love your tips. Today's episode was recorded live in Constellation's studio in sweet Auburn in Atlanta, Georgia. Today's episode was edited by Wes, the Benevolent, Blankenship. Music by Josh, give it some grit, Garmin. An illustration by Rachel Ernest Eleanor. A big shout out to Matchstick, a brand identity house. They lead organizations to discover who they are and how they best express themselves. For more information, go to matchstick.com. That's M-A-T-C-H-S-T-I-C.com.